we have gotten some pretty tough questions in, and today we are going to answer three of them, but really the first one is jumping back to Peter's first question last week, and that is, my man, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? (laughs) I'm, I'm no doctor, but I used the Google, and what the Google told me was, there's a study that Purdue did and now, I'm just going to read, this is, this is a quote that from an excerpt of a scientific journal article. I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> it's so weird, y'all. Okay, it says, Purdue found that it took 364 licks for a licking machine that they had built. <laughs> All right, so according to just strictly the science, like, I, I don't even know what this thing looks like, but I just think like a licking machine is the weirdest invention, contraption, just known to man. So these brilliant scientists at Purdue found out, scientifically speaking, alone, 364 licks to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop. But we can't just leave this to the machines. We know they all want to take over eventually anyway, but it took 252 licks. This is, this is a quote, okay? from some of their volunteers. I feel like in this situation, you have to really define the parameters of this experiment, okay? 252 licks from some of their volunteers. Didn't say if it was a different Tootsie Pop. It didn't say if they just stood in the big circle and took a lick and passed it down. I'm not sure exactly what is happening here, but I think it's safe to say anywhere between... 364, 252 licks to the center of a Tootsie Pop. I always thought it was one, a two, a three, and then the owl eats it. Uh, You'd end up at the dentist if you did that, so maybe that's just me. All right, we have two actual questions this morning, Uh, so brace your necks. You're going to get whiplash because we're about to go from Tootsie Pops to does God send good people to hell? So... That's a lot, but it's a question that has been asked, and it's a question that as believers we need to address. So the question starting off this morning, we have this one and one more to go. The question that we are starting off with outside of Tootsie Pops is, does God send good people to hell? I'm going to shock you, okay? No, God does not send good people to hell. Okay. Now, everybody in the room that reads their Bible, that has some experience in church, is thinking, this guy's a heretic, okay? <laughs> Let's dig in. Does God send good people to hell? No, because God doesn't send us to hell. It is actually our sin that condemns us. See, we sin when we go against God, when we break God's commandments, that makes us sinners. First John 3, 4 refers to sin as lawlessness. And so it is not God that sends us to hell. It is our own sin that sends us to hell. It is our own sin that brings God's wrath against us because God is a perfectly just God. We see that there are consequences for our sin. So then we follow that up with, but I'm a good person. 
I'm a good person. I've done good things. There's no way that God should send me to hell. There's no reason. And to that, I would say, there are no good people. There are no good people. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's me. That's you. Not who we thought we were. Not good people. You see, no good judge is going to let you off the hook because you say that you are a good person. If you are in the court of law and you have murdered somebody, if you have stolen something, and you walk up to the judge and you say, but judge, I'm a good person. That judge, if they are good at their job, is going to look at you and say, you may be a good person. You may consider yourself to be a good person, but you have still committed the crime. You still have to do the, crime, the time. And then you say, but, but judge, I'm a good person. I have good deeds. What about my good deeds? You see, before I came into the courtroom this morning, I creeped on you and I figured out what car you drove. And I washed your car as you parked it and came in to the courtroom. I've got all these good deeds. And it's just not just your car that I washed. I washed every car out there. And the judge, if he is, she is a good judge, is going to look at you and say the same thing. I'm glad you've done these things, but you still committed the crime. You still have to do the time. So there are no good people. Even if we have good deeds, even if we consider ourselves to be a good person. And that is for one reason. Peter briefly touched on this last week, and that is that God judges us based off of our heart and not just the things that we act out. We see this in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, when Jesus is discussing anger. He says, if you have heard, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying it's not just about you committing the act anymore. It's about the condition of your heart. If you are angry with your brother in your heart, in your mind, guess what? That makes you a murderer. That's harsh. Sin is harsh. Matthew 5, 27 through 28, discussed lust, and this is Jesus again. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's no longer about just what you act upon. It's about the temptation inside. It's about how you deal with that temptation. It's about the desires that are taking place underneath the surface. You see, I think all day long, as Christians that go to church, we can put on our Pharisee outfits. We can be pretenders, act like we have it all together, act like we're perfect, when underneath we are completely broken, we are hurting, and we need to be clean. We need to be made new because there is sin that is eating us alive. So, God doesn't send us to hell. Our sin sends us to hell. Does God send good people to hell? No, because there are no good people. 
and there's bad news for bad people. We see that. Romans 6, 23, the first part of it says, for the wages of sin is death. So we have this sin in our life, and this sin has consequences. We have literally earned the wages of our sin, and that is death. And because of that, we are bound and determined for hell. That's not it. That's not the gospel. That's not the end of the story. You see, if Jesus would have been crucified on a cross and never risen from the dead on the third day, that would be the end of the story. There would be 12 really confused people in a big crowd thinking, what is next? But Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin, defeating the flesh, defeating the enemy. All for us. See, there is good news for bad people. There was only one good person that ever lived, and that good person was actually perfect, and his name was Jesus. He was fully God, and he was fully man, and he fully loved us. In the second half of Romans 6, 23, first, for the wages of sin is death, but that is not the end, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. So, in God's love, he freely gave his son. In his son Jesus, there is eternal life. And so then we ask the question, well, how do I receive that? That is what I want. I want eternal life. I think we see that at the very end of the second half of Romans 6.23. We'll call it part C. We make him our Lord. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That means we put our faith in him. That means he says to repent of our sins, and we repent. He says, follow me, and we follow him. You want that benefit? You've got to belong to the master. You've got to make him your master. You've got to make him your Lord. You can't just make him your friend. You guys remember those shirts that said, Jesus is my homeboy? It's not going to get you in heaven. It's only a relationship with Jesus repentance of your sins, trusting in him and his work on the cross, putting your faith in that and that alone, that saves you. We have to follow him. So God, does, does God send good people to hell? No, there aren't any good people. It's our sinfulness that is the problem. But he does provide a way out of hell for bad people. And that is through the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection of his son. Second question today. What about the people that never hear the gospel? Maybe you've heard this question. Maybe you've asked this question. Uh, I think this argument can sometimes be uh, called the man on the island. Um, I think when it comes to the man on the island, if he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt, you can pretty much count on he's heard the gospel or at least had a chance, okay? But if he's wearing a loincloth, that's when you have to ask the question. So, what about the person on the island? What about the tribesmen in the middle of the Amazon? What about the pygmies in Africa or Asia? What about the unreached people groups that are out there that have yet to have contact with the modern world? The first thing I would say is this, is that God is not hiding. God is not hiding. You see, God reveals himself to all people. Romans 1, 18 through 23, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the faith. And then we see in 19 through 20 that he reveals himself generally. This is called God's general revelation. And he does that in their in creation, through what he has created, and our consciences. And it says, verse 19, For what, what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So how does God general, generally reveal himself to people who have not heard the gospel? Well, he does that in proof in his eternal power in creation. The one thing that they are probably surrounded by the most, the beauty and the majesty of what God created for them. And then they have the proof in his divine nature, and that is in their conscience, their moral compass within them. There was a tribe, it was an unreached people group, it's called the Akas, the A-U-C-A tribe, uh, and these tribesmen, there was contact made with them by five missionary men. And upon making contact, this tribe killed all five of these men. This is insane but through the relationship with Jesus that these men's wives had, these men's wives counted the very murderers of their husbands' eternal security and lives with God in heaven for eternity more important than their own. And years later, they go back out there. They make contact with the same tribesmen that killed their husbands, and they share the same gospel. This time, the outcome was different. This time, the Aka tribe gave their lives to Jesus. And later on, after they had learned the language and things had been translated, they were interviewed. And one of the interview questions was, did you know when you killed these men that that was wrong? And their answer was yes. We knew that was wrong. These are people that never previously had contact with the outside world. These are people that had only seen God's creation. These are people that only had a moral compass inside of them. And still they chose to ignore that moral compass and take the lives of these men. They knew it was wrong without anyone having to teach them that it was wrong. Then we see that even with God revealing himself, they ignore God. And that's exactly what we have with the Aka tribe. And thank goodness, through the courageous passion for Jesus of those women, going back to the very men that killed their husband, they would come to know Jesus. But we continue on. Verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, him, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I think what we can boil this down to, and ultimately what Paul is boiling this down to, is one issue. That God may reveal himself 
God may show himself to people who he wishes would seek him, but no one seeks God. We see that Romans 3, 11, it says, no one understands, no one seeks God. And I can look around this room this morning and there's just enough light in here that I can read our faces. And I can see the doom and the gloom of this message so far. But I want you to know, just like Jesus taking the cross and going into that grave, that there is still hope. Because for the next 50 minutes, I'm going to finish this point. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) We have hope. Because for those that do seek God, God will reveal himself to those who truly seek him. And that is regardless of geographic isolation. That is regardless of any hurdles. God can and will make a way. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Jeremiah 29.13 says something very similar. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So what do we see? We see that there's hope. We see for the person who responds positively to this general revelation that God will make a way for them to come into relationship with him. If a person truly seeks after God, God wants to make himself known. This isn't some kind of big cosmic spiritual game of peekaboo where God is just hiding behind his hands forever. Or hide and go seek where you start counting and God jets the other direction and you never find him. No, God is calling out. God is revealing himself over and over and over, not just to the man on an island that is marooned or stranded and never had any isolation or has been living in isolation from the outside world. No, God wants to reveal himself to whoever will respond positively to him. God wants people to come to him. God will make a way for them to come to him. God will find a way to get the gospel to them, whether that is sending someone which we would call a missionary, to go share the gospel with them, or by showing himself in another kind of revelation, which would be special revelation. Two examples of this this morning. The first one we see is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and this is the revelation of God sending a missionary to this Ethiopian eunuch in Philip. So this is in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. If you have your Bible, awesome. Go ahead, turn there. It's a little bit towards the end. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. No questioning right there. I love that. Philip, listening, heard went. No questions. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over there and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? 
to which the Ethiopian eunuch responded, is this Grand Theft Chariot? Why did you just run over here? I'm just playing, I didn't say that. (laughs) And he said, how can I understand, or how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, perfect timing, Philip, way to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's like all of this was orchestrated. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this is, or this is about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came along some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I would have loved to see what this looks like. You know, the Holy Spirit coming down, carrying Philip away. It was like a little tornado, or was it like a man with ADD just getting distracted and running away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. What do we see here? We see that this man, the Ethiopian eunuch, is seeking God. And God was revealing himself to him through Scripture, through his word. This is why it is so important for us to spend time in God's word. How can we say that we are Jesus is, how can we say that we are followers of his if we don't spend time with him through his word? And God sends Philip to help interpret it. Philip listens to the angel and he went. He helps interpret the scripture. He shares Jesus. He accepts Jesus. The eunuch accepts Jesus. And then he gets baptized then and there. And that's not an isolated incident. We see further on in the book of Acts, Acts 10, Verses 1 and 2, really this is the entire chapter of Acts 10. We're not going to read the whole thing, don't worry. We see this in the life of Peter and Cornelius. We see a special revelation to Cornelius. And then we see the fetching of Peter by Cornelius. It says, verses 1 and 2, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Maybe this means they had like nicer leather, leather than the other cohorts. I'm not sure. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So had a general revelation of God, responded positively to God, and what happens next is Cornelius has a vision. An angel comes to visit him and he says, hey, Cornelius, God has noticed your prayers. God has noticed your alms. Go fetch Peter. Peter has got some good stuff for you. And so what does he do? He sends two of his servants to go get Peter. During this time, God is prepping Peter's heart separately to be prepared for this occasion. And then Peter comes. And what does Peter do? Peter shares the gospel. And then they receive the Holy Spirit then and there. And then Cornelius and the people present get baptized. And in this we see that God makes a way. God made a way for the Roman centurion to come to know him because he had a positive reaction, a positive response to this general revelation. 
And I think any time when God reveals himself, whether it's through creation or in our conscience, and we respond positively to that, he is going to make a way for us to come to him. God got the good news of Jesus to the Roman centurion through special revelation and through his man whom he sent. So, that's a lot. That's a lot to chew on. That's a lot to break down. That's a lot to process throughout this week. And so before we go this morning, I want us to take a look at two takeaways. In both of these instances, we see that God makes a way for these men. God makes a way for us to find him. Point A, that way is only one way. That way is only through Jesus. Point B, that way has to be shared by other people. So let's start. Point A, there is only one way to heaven, and that is in Jesus. Jesus is the way. John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the way. It does not say, I am a way. There are Bible translations that have twisted this to say that Jesus said, I am a way. And that is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what does this mean? This means that we don't get to the Father based off of how good of a person we are. This means that we don't get to the Father by considering ourselves to be a Christian. It's not by going to church. It's not by doing good deeds. It's not by your parents' faith. It's not by a decision that one of your family members made for you when you were younger. It is not by John, Jacob, Jingleheimer, or Joseph Smith. It is not by anything other than Jesus that we will get to the Father. He is the only way. And you being a follower of His is the only way to the Father. You want to belong to the Father? You want to be with the Father? You better belong to Jesus. Because some of us in here have responded positively to the gospel. We find ourselves as his. We find ourselves in his care. We find ourselves repentant of our sin. We find ourselves as following him. But there's something, I don't care who you are, there's something you struggle with. And that's taking responsibility of that gospel message and not just holding it within yourself. Not just camouflaging yourself around other people, but that's actually taking responsibility and getting it to other people. You see, we're responsible for what God has revealed to us. If we are Jesus's, we need to tell others about Jesus. So second and last point this morning is that we have a part to play. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, kind of a big scripture here. The Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what is our part to play in this? If we have responded positively to God's revelation, if we have found ourselves 
as followers of Jesus. That means that we need to be going. This does not mean you just go to church on Sunday. That's not the extent of you going. That's like you going to a football game and saying you play for the Cardinals. Wishful thinking. <laughs> now, especially now that they're better. I mean, a couple years back. <laughs> could have been true. It's always true for the Dallas Cowboys. Hey. We have to go. We have to get off our hind ends. And we have to do something. There has to be action. This is the command of Jesus. Go and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, how can I tell? Because you have made more followers of Jesus. You have pointed people to him. You are showing them how to walk alongside him. This means you baptize. So God, we are so open and free with who baptizes at our church. It's not just me. It's not just Jacob. It's not just Peter. As soon as Joe got baptized last week, and you know what Joe did? As the leader of his household, he baptized his wife. That's the way it should be. You know, Jesus told you to baptize people, right? So if you belong to Jesus... You better be baptizing people. Follow him, baptize other people. And then you teach. You teach them God's word. You show them the way. We are just the Mandalorian all over this place this morning, right? This is the way. This is God's way. And we have to share that with other people. So go therefore, but go wherefore. Wherefore is not a word, but I'm making up a bunch of words this morning. Acts 1.8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So if you're not super familiar with the Mediterranean part of the world, let me break this down a little bit more. Jerusalem means your hometown. This means we take the good news of Jesus to our hometown, to our community. Judea, this is our own culture. This is our own city. This is our own state. Samaria, this is a nearby culture. This is a nearby region. This is a nearby country. It is within our country. And then to the ends of the earth. And that's another country. That is overseas. That is where Jesus is not known. So go therefore, go why for, go how for. Romans 10, 14 through 15 answers that. How then will they call on him? whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Go, so that they can hear. Go, sharing the good news of Jesus. Paul lines this up so perfectly for us. The only way to be saved is to call on the name of Jesus. The only way to call on the name of Jesus is to believe the gospel. The only way to believe the gospel is to hear it. The only way to hear the gospel is to be told the gospel. Church, this is why we love missions. This is why we send and support missionaries. This is why we go on mission trips. This is why we sow financially gathering resources for those to go when we don't have the opportunity to go. This is why we, on this side of things, pray for those that go because we have a part in this. So we pray for those sharing the gospel that once the good news of Jesus is heard, that it will be embraced and accepted. And this is why we encourage those that go. 
so that when they go, they can go confidently, knowing that on this side of the equation, their families will be taken care of, that their church family has their back, and that their God has their back, and they are going in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do we have a part to play in the man, the tribesman, the man on the island? Yeah, we absolutely do. And I believe that there will be people within this church that will be sent over and over. I believe God will call people in this church to be sent permanently to reach people who have not been reached for the sake of the gospel. Do we have a part to play in those that haven't heard the gospel? Yes, we do, over and over again. But I don't want that to be a cop-out for you. I don't want that to be something that you can justify not doing anything with your life herewith. See, while we are on mission elsewhere, we are also on mission here. We can get caught up on the person across the world, but what about the person that lives next door to you that's never heard the gospel? That's never heard that God so loved them, sent his son to die for them, so that they could have eternal life in Jesus? You know whose responsibility that is? That bad boy is your responsibility. That's my responsibility. God called me and my family here so that we could share the gospel here, so that we could live out the gospel here, so that we could see the kingdom displayed, so that we could be the church. God had a plan for us. It's not just me. God's got a plan for you too. He's placed you in the house you're in for a reason. You have a purpose. If you belong to Jesus, that purpose is to tell other people about Jesus. So let's be like Philip. Philip, he heard the Lord. He responded. He didn't ask questions. What did Philip do? He ran. You know how awkward it must have been for that guy in the chariot reading that scroll? Oh, who's this guy? Hey, I'm Philip. What you reading, buddy? Let me help you. How'd you know I was reading? <laughs> we should do the same thing. We should set aside the awkwardness. We should embrace the purpose that God has called us here with. We should take the gospel with us wherever we go. Let's pray. Jesus, embolden us to embrace your call in our lives here, right here in Northwest Surprise, or wherever we're coming from this morning, Sun City, Sun City West, the other true part of Surprise where almost everyone else lives. God, whatever street we live on, whatever house you place us in, we know that has a purpose behind it. Help us to embrace that. Set aside the awkwardness. Set aside our doubts, our fears, our insecurities. And to, as Philip did, run to those who you have called us to. God, show us who it is in our lives who have had a positive response to your general revelation who've had a positive response to your special revelation, who have had a positive response to your written revelation in your scripture, and who have had a positive response to your personal revelation in the person of Jesus. Let us run to them with the good news of Jesus so that they too can be saved, so that they too can be made new. 
And Jesus, help us to be a church that never forgets about the person that is still unreached. Thank you that you've also given us a part of that problem as well, that we have a purpose in reaching those people. Help us, as a church, send missionaries out. Help us to support those missionaries, both financially, through prayer, through encouragement, but for their families on this side of things as they're gone. Jesus, we want people to know you. I don't care where they are. I was lost and I was broken without you. And I would still be lost and broken if it weren't for you. So Jesus, thank you that you die on the cross for our sins. Thank you, God, that when people seek you and they seek you with all their heart, that you reveal yourself to them. Thank you that you revealed yourself to me. Jesus, I pray for the person in this room this morning who doesn't know you. And God, I pray that you would call them into relationship with you. And if that is you this morning and you realize that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you've just been a fan for all these years. Maybe you want more information about that. I pray right now that God will give you the courage and the boldness to let us know. If you feel like God is calling you into relationship with him this morning, check that box on the back of your Connect card. Find me after service. Let's talk about that. Find Jacob after service. Let's talk about that. Let's square away what a relationship looks like with you and Jesus, what it looks like for you to repent of sin, what it looks like for you to follow Jesus with your life. Jesus, call us to you this morning and call those that are far to you into relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.